uh, again, uh, as we uh, get settled in, uh, you can go ahead and open uh, your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, uh, where today we're really going to begin our time uh, looking at, at Paul's call to respond to the understanding of who Christ is and, and how new life in Him is to affect one's life. Now, uh, up front, I, I think I've, uh, I've gone around, tried to hit all my bases this morning and talking to parents and kind of laying out kind of uh, where we're headed today because I do want to make a disclaimer. We're going to be talking about some pretty intense things today. Uh, but guess what? We're not going to shy away from it uh, because we believe that God's word is God's word and it is true. Uh, and it is good for our lives because it brings transformation, hope, uh, and it is good news. And so we, because we preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, uh, we hit texts like this sometimes and we just say, all right, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're entering into. Uh, Jeremy had made a joke last week that he always gets the hard passages. And I told him, I said, hey, this one's pretty tough. Uh, it's not easy to step into while it is this call to put off things. Uh, we are going to man really press into some things that for most, if not all, in certain ways are uncomfortable for us to kind of walk into. And so wanted you to know that. Uh, but really, again, what we're seeing uh, is Paul, this is kind of this time of transition moving into Colossians chapter 3. Uh, this is not a regular to Paul. If you look at Ephesians, it kind of has the same format. You get through the, the first half of uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus and, and Paul is talking and just expounding upon this is the good news, this is the good news, this is the good news. Uh, and then in chapter 4 of Ephesians, you see he begins to flesh out this is how this works out in your life. And so in Colossians, Paul has been talking over and over again, hey, uh, this is the good news. This is who Christ is. And what he's doing today is going to say, this is how this starts to affect your life. This is the, uh, the, the knowledge that you have. And again, we, we've already we've said it at length uh, in this culture. And I believe, man, for, for many of us, like we would relate in, in similar ways. Uh, man, just having knowledge without action is really, it, it, Paul calls it foolish or worthless. Uh, but this is where Paul's headed. He said, okay, this is the knowledge of who Christ is. Okay, what does that look like actively in your life? I mean, remember, the church in Colossae is being threatened by these false teachers who are really telling them uh, that if they want to truly find fulfillment in their spiritual, physical, and social lives, they have to work to this higher plane of knowledge. They need a more robust view of what is essentially self-seeking idol worship. While we call this series Christ Is, what the false teachers are saying is Christ isn't. And specifically, Christ isn't enough. Now, he might be part of it, but you need to add all these other things to that so that you can actually get where you're trying to go. But what Paul is arguing is, man, that's foolishness. You see, this is Paul's wrestling. This is his argument. This is his concern. It is his battle. Why he is writing to this church. But I believe as we read and sit in this today, man, this is our battle as well. This should be our wrestling. You see, we battle against the lies of who Christ isn't with the, truth, with the truth of who He truly is and who we are in Him. So what we saw last week is we weren't to believe the lie of legalism, of false humility and of self-made religion, but rather we are to believe 
the good news of Christ's sufficiency in that, again, He is fully God and fully man. That He is the Lord over redemption and He is the only one. And I repeat that, He is the only one who changes lives and gives hope. This is the beauty of Colossians. Paul tells us who Christ is, who we are in Christ. And today we're going to begin to see how all that fleshes out. And so let's begin by reading uh, Colossians 3, verses 1-4. through Paul says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Okay, so what we find here is really kind of a transitional set of verses by Paul that sets the stage for what it looks like to live out of Christ's sufficiency, and it begins by reminding us of what we know of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and what that means for us. And in these verses, we're really told two main things. We're told to seek and to set. But I think, man, to really do this text justice, I think uh, we, that there's one thing before we seek and set. And, and I think that we, uh, man, we have to press into it because if you miss it, man, you miss kind of the foundation of what Paul's after. You see, the beginning of verse 1, Paul says, If then you uh, have been raised with Christ. What that does, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 20, he talks about being buried with Christ. So he says, look, if you've been raised, not only were you buried with Christ in His death, but you have been raised with Him. He says, look back. You who died, you died with Him in His death, and now you were raised with Him in His life. If then. Now, now the reason I believe that that's key The reason I think we have to start there is because apart from dying with Christ in His death, there is no resurrection. You cannot proclaim the hope and fruit of the resurrection, and more so, you will not display the hope and fruit of the resurrection if you have not first died with Christ. Death without resurrection is foolishness. But what you must also understand is that the death and resurrection you are a part of is done solely by Christ for you. You do nothing to make yourself alive because you who are dead have no power to bring forth everlasting life. I love what Jonathan Edwards once said. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it it necessary. And yet, while it is not in you, in Christ, by the grace and mercy of God, it is imputed to you, which means that, that Christ's righteousness is seen as yours. And so what does being in and with Christ lead to? What is this uh, being buried, but being raised with Christ? What does that lead to? Well, the first thing Paul says, he says that you would seek the things that are above. Seek not the lies of the false teachers, which we kind of looked at last week in verses 16 through 23 of chapter 2. 
Paul's saying don't seek the material, positional, and earthly things of the false teachers, but rather seek the things that are above where Christ is seated in authority. Again, this is not some type of prosperity thinking. This is gospel thinking. Which I think if you're not careful, man, uh, you can begin to believe, well, the gospel is that I would be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. But that's not, the, uh, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what Paul says you should be after. He says that you are called to think about Christ. And, and, but this isn't just you think about Him one time. We are to constantly be setting. Or we are constantly seeking the things that are above. We are constantly be thinking upon and looking to Christ as sufficient and supreme and Lord over all. And the reason we do this is because guess what? He's worthy. And He is supreme authority. He is the fullness of all you want and need. Something I tell couples uh, consistently, uh, I do two things whenever I marry uh, couples. Uh, one, uh, consistently, I forget to tell everyone else to sit down. Uh, and so everyone else is just left standing. Uh, I caught myself really quickly this time because uh, some of my family members are in the front row and they're like, I was like, oh, thank you. But I just skip right over it every time. Big, bold, red letters. I just move from the giving of the bride to let's declare this intent, let's get them married, and let's celebrate. And, and yet I leave everyone else standing. So I do that, but uh, uh, something I do every time is when I'm talking to the couple, I look at them and say, if there's one thing I could tell you, it would be this, that you would seek Jesus and let everything else fall where it will. And that's the life we are to live. We are to be seeking after Christ. He's what we are looking to. Because He's worthy. He is supreme authority. And so today, what has your heart? You see, what you seek after daily is what reveals that which you worship. What you seek after daily reveals what you worship. And so to you, today is it success? Today is it money? Today, you know, you fill in the blank. Or is it Jesus? I'm going to seek Him first. And then what does it say? Like Everything else will be added. Everything that you need, you'll have. Because He's enough. Next, He says, set your mind on things that are above. So we seek things that are above. Well, we set our minds on things that are above. You see, in the same way that what you seek after reveals your heart, what you set your mind upon reveals your worship, your desires, and what you look to for hope and transformation. See, last week the false teachers were saying, hey, you need to seek all this knowledge so that you can puff yourself up, right? But that knowledge, that puffing of yourself up, leads to what? It leads to a false humility. But Paul says, hey, don't set your mind on all these other things. Set your mind upon Christ. Because guess what? Earthly things will pass away, but Christ will not. He is the beginning and the end, the Creator and Sustainer of all things. He holds position, or He is to hold position and possession of your heart, but not just your heart, your mind. John Piper says that loving God with all our minds means that our thinking is wholly engaged to do all it can to awaken and express the heartfelt fullness of treasuring God above all things. That's what it means to set our mind 
on things above. To set our mind upon Christ is to say, God, I want something to awaken in me, but also to express you through me. And this cannot happen if our minds are set upon other things. Paul argues in Romans 12 that it is by what? The renewing of what? The renewing of our minds that transformation comes. You see, as we seek to understand and think upon Christ as sufficient and supreme for salvation and gospel living, we are transformed. And the transformation begins here, but it always moves outward. You see, the fruit of Christ's resurrection sets forth the active and deliberate seeking and setting of our hearts and minds upon Christ so that the knowledge of Christ displays itself in the overflow of living for Christ. Then in verses 3 and 4, what we get is this reiteration of the beginning of Colossians 3, verse 1. He says, as you seek and set, remember, realize you were first hidden in Christ. Again, you have died to those things in Christ. Being hidden in Christ is also not that we're hidden until we mess up. I think sometimes we have this wrong view of the gospel. They say, well, I'm hidden in Christ, but as soon as I step out of line, I'm not hidden in Christ anymore. No, you are, man, because of what Jesus has done, it is a once for all time thing in the life of a disciple. You are hidden and will continue to be hidden. Well, what that means is that, man, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you've given your, your life to Christ, then you are secure. And it is in that security that brings about hope. It says that you hope at his return. This hope in the midst of the lies is security for the disciple of Jesus in that we know that no matter the circumstance, Christ is not only sufficient, He is also victorious, and He will all make all things new. This hope leads to what? It leads to seeking and setting, but it also empowers us and frees us to put off the old man and so for the rest of our time today and then moving into next week, we're gonna, today we're going to be talking about what does it mean to put off the old man? And then next week we're like, okay, if we put off the old man, what are we to put on? And so let's continue by looking and we're, here we go. We're going to get into it, all right? Let's look at verses 5 through 7. Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. All right, so in light of the call to seek and set our minds upon Christ, we get this picture, he says, uh, that, put to death therefore, because of what we've seen in the previous verses, put to death, that Paul, Paul moves to the, from the indicatives to the imperatives by first calling us to put to death sin and put on again the person and work of Christ. You see, the gospel, which again is the good news that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and Satan through his life, death and resurrection, leads to a life of continual putting off and putting on. 
We, we would call this sanctification. To put to death sin and to put on Christ is this act of sanctification, which is trans- the, it, this act of sanctification is transformation that is not dependent upon you, but it's something you actively participate in. And so how do we participate in this? Well, man, we have been given weapons to participate. We have been given God's Word. We have been given prayer. And we have been given the church. A community of believers that we might walk with so that we might be transformed. And so today, are you using them? So Paul tells the church in Colossae and us today, he says, don't simply talk about what you know to be true uh, about the Word. You are to live out your faith by putting off what is earthly or carnal in you. Earthly there is worldly, which is, again, what the false teachers are claiming. They're saying, hey, man, you say you have Jesus, but you need to put on all this other stuff. And Paul says, no, put that stuff, take it off. Put off these things. His term is really put to death, which is a violent term that means to destroy that which is seeking to destroy you. Note, again, this putting off is not simply external means of moral change. But man, as Paul is even talking here, man, the heart of the person is in view. He's saying, let's get to the root of it. And he's going to begin by going to the heart and action when it comes to sexual immorality. And so he uses five terms to describe this sin and it comes as follows. The first one is the word sexual immorality, which is where, is the, in the Greek is pornea, where we get our word for pornography. It is encompassing of all of this sin. And it is anything that is outside the biblical context of a man and a woman in biblical marriage. Now, now, as we see the general thing, again, because we're uncomfortable with this, because we don't like this, because, man, this is something that's taboo that you don't talk about, and yet the culture is constantly talking about it, constantly presenting it forth. What do we do with this? Well, I think we have to dig in and get a little specific with it. And I think, actually, that's what Paul's doing in this moment, is he's just working through the list. So today, man, for us, we have to realize that that, man, not only is what, that what's going on in, uh, outside of us, but, man, for many, uh, because this is a hidden sin, or many of these sins are hidden sins, although, man, they are exposed and it creates a whole lot of destruction. And I think more and more, and a study was done in 2021, that, that most people, over 50% of men and women, when asked, said that pornography was acceptable. That it's becoming more and more just kind of a part of who we are and and you should just accept it. But Paul is saying, no, put it off. Put off all of it. And so we are called to be a people in every single one of these areas. We are called to make war. We are called to put it to death. And so when we talk about it, just practically, like for, for everyone in this room today, I think something like, for, for each of us to wrestle with or think about or process through is, man, what are you taking in? What are you watching? But not only that, and if we're going to be a people that really fight against this, that really learn to put this off, 
You're going to have to learn to allow it to be exposed. And some of that exposing is just you honestly sharing, hey, I struggle with this. If the church is called to be a safe place, and, and, and I think, man, uh, overall, man, we're growing and pretty good at just sharing kind of those surface level sins, but man, we allow these just to kind of stay in the back closet and we never talk about it. But may we have the humility and it's, it's to be held accountable and see this as a safe place. May we quit allowing it to wreak havoc and start saying, hey, this is what's going on. And may there be much grace and may we see much prayer and may we see, man, uh, God do a mighty work in this area. But, but not only that, I, I think just to get a little more specific in terms of this, man, one thing I would say, and again, I had to go around like so many parents saying, hey, this is what we're talking about. This is uncomfortable. Like that's like I, I'm not here to, to judge you or anything like that. But if this is uncomfortable, like I, I want you to just let you know this is where we're headed. But man, I believe that like texts like this create an opportunity for you to disciple your children well, to not shy away from this. Because guess what? If God's word is God's word and it's good and it's the very word of God, like then it is. Uh, man, it should be seen as a grace for our lives, and we shouldn't uh, again different age. Kids can handle different things, but it should be able to create conversation as it comes up. Because guess what? If you're not discipling your children in this area, the world surely will. And man, for many, there's this thing, well, I just don't, like, our kids don't, maybe they don't know it, but I think, like, my mom thought I didn't know anything about it. And she never talked to me. And man, for a long time, it wrecked my life. I mean, I wish that she would have had conversations with me or put me around, man, for me as a, man, like a young man, like godly men that would say, hey, we're going to talk about this. But man, specifically like for parents in the room, and I want to encourage you, like you have to fight for your children. And so part of that is being maybe the uncool parent, right? Like, hey, we're not going to watch those things. We're going to check IMDB at parental control or, you know, there, there's a variety of safe searches out there. Not only that, like, man, you got to protect it. Like, social media is, is wreaking havoc on kids' lives. Like, if you haven't, like, I'm almost 36. I don't have TikTok or Snapchat. And I'm fed up with all the other stuff because it just makes me angry. We'll get to anger in a minute. Um, but, like, your, your kid doesn't know how to handle that. And there's resources for you to step in. They're called... We called them phones. Now they're just called dumb phones, right? Like, but when we were growing up, like that's all you had. Like there was no internet access. And guess what? They can still communicate with you. It's all they need to do. But they shouldn't be on Snapchat or TikTok or all those things because they can't handle the weight of it. Most adults can't handle the weight of it. So what are you doing to protect them? Like these are the like this is what Paul's at. Like if we're gonna put it on, like we need to fight like personally, but also we need to fight for others and say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna seek to protect you from those things. But he continues. He says he says also impurity. You see, while sexual immorality is largely focused uh, outwardly, impurity is focused on the thoughts and the mind. This is what Jesus would say. He said, hey, you say you've never committed adultery, but if you've looked, 
uh, at another with lust in your heart, you have, cre- you have committed adultery in your heart. It is this act of, man, I, I'm, I'm going to have thoughts about desiring someone else in ways that are impure. And again, we think we get around it because we're not acting on them, but you are in here. Set, seek, set your mind on Christ, not those things. Put those things off. Again, this is an external behavior modification. This is a renewed mind that leads to transformed hearts that are more like Christ. Paul then says, man, put away passion. Passion, the, the word here is the root emotion that leads to excess. Misplaced passion is destructive and perverted in every way. This is where we're getting into a lot of our gender issues and, and, and love is love issues, right? That's what the culture is speaking to and saying. Like, but, but what it is, it's just passions misplaced that are destructive. Now to that, I want to say that passion is a natural part of life. And that when used well, bears fruit. But when used sinfully, it leads to destruction. And so again, as we hear these things, and again, they're going on around us all the time, may we not be surprised by them. We shouldn't be shocked by it. Because the broken world is still the broken world. Paul's even going to say in a moment, hey, these things you used to walk in, But as we're not surprised by it, may we speak the gospel into it and not hate. Next, Paul says, evil desire. This is, again, the act of lusting after someone. And what it is, is that actually, what he's getting at is a voracious hunger that kills the soul. Because guess what? It's never satisfied. I heard a story when I was younger that the way you, in the Arctic or in the, you know, Alaska, Canada, up in where, where it snows a lot, you know, it's not 100% humidity all the time. Uh, the way they kill a wolf, or some kill a wolf, is they'll take a, a big long knife and they'll dip it in blood, animal blood and they'll put it in the freezer. Then they'll take it out again and dip it in blood and put it in the freezer and build all these layers of just this blood that's just pretty much just a big uh, blood popsicle, right? And they'll take it out to the woods and they'll stick it in the ground with the blade facing up, and what will happen is a wolf or some other type of carnivore will come, and they desire to have that. And so they smell the blood, and they begin to lick the blood off of this knife blade. And man, that voraciousness, that desire just grows because it tastes good, but it's not satisfying them, right? They're not being filled. And so what eventually happens is they get to the blade, and they lick, and it cuts their tongue. But they're so, man, the desire is so great, they don't even notice they're drinking their own blood. They just keep doing it and keep doing it until finally they, they kill themselves. This is what Paul's saying. These are those kind of evil desires. Man, you are just after it at all times and you can't get enough, but it never satisfies. He says, put that off. Because guess what? Jesus is better and He's enough. And then lastly, he talks about coveting and I don't believe that he's talking about material coveting here. I believe he's actually talking about these same desires. He says, uh, and again, don't covet because it is a heart of idolatry. Paul is encapsulating everything here. You see, to covet is not simply possessions or positions. It is to long for one another in unhealthy ways that we see above in the text. And each of these, according to Paul, are idolatry. And again, idolatry in its most simple form is taking a good thing and turning it into what? A God thing. 
It's giving your, your worship to it, yourself over to it. And then Paul makes two statements right after this. He says, one, the wrath of God is coming upon these things towards the unrepentant. Therefore, we are to return, uh, return in repentance and faith, but also, well, uh, man, while we see that, while we know that, while we should proclaim that to others, hey, man, if you're not a follower of Jesus, say, if you don't know Christ, man, uh, that, that is, like the ultimate, uh, that's what's coming. And yet, what we know, man, if you're a disciple of Jesus today, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ for these things in your life. Therefore, you have died and are to put off these things because you have been raised with Christ. Let's quit shying away from it. And let's expose it for just like we would do with every other sin. But that's the one like that and the money, we just kind of draw the line on. No, those are my things. I'll deal with them and I'll fix them. No. One, only through Christ. Like, do you have a part to play? Yes. But actively, but it's only being empowered by the, the, the spirits in your life, work in your life. But also, man, it needs to be done like the context of community. We need one another. And so we get the first side of putting off, but then Paul continues with this call of putting off in verses 8 and 9. So really, I believe he can make sure he covers all the bases of our call to put to death the sins that seek to rule and ruin our lives. So let's read verses 8 and 9 now. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So if the first list was just something you brushed off, either due to its uncomfortable nature, or man, due to maybe just uh, you know some gracious and humble victory in your life by the work of God. To that I would say, don't get lazy and prideful. Stay near to Jesus. Paul, beginning in verse eight, presses hard into some real surface level expressions that again encapsulate well the culture that we find ourselves in and the sins that I believe are wreaking havoc both inside and outside the church. You see, this text is a grace to us to make us realize that when we feel, wrestle, or see these things, again, we're not shocked by them, and yet we should also respond differently than the world. We shouldn't meet anger with anger. And so today, how are you responding? How is your heart towards anger and others today? Well, that's what I want to explore in the rest of our time because I believe we don't really define anger well. And by that I mean a lot of times we label our anger as righteous instead of calling it out as the wickedness it is and repenting of it and apologizing to others for it. That's the difference between pride and humility, right? Like you can even think you're humble and say, well, I went to God and I told Him and yet the person is just wrecked. Right? Like, man, I believe the Scripture said take it a step further and go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry that I was really angry. I didn't respond. Man, will you forgive me? Like, go to, like, let's take, you know, go to God with it in repentance, receive God's grace, and then go to others. Say, hey, I need your forgiveness. So he begins with anger, and anger here, really, kind of the, the way that it, it, it's this, it, it's something that's growing inside. It, it, this kind of anger is what we see that, that God meets Cain with in Genesis 4. Cain's offering isn't accepted and he, 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 God sees it and he says, hey, why are you angry? 
He says, you know sin is, is, is waiting. That, that which is sin is waiting. To, it's crouching at the door waiting to strike, right? It's that kind of anger just ready to burst. Again, the focus of this anger is the heart here. And, and that heart then moves, the heart of anger moves to what? It moves to wrath. Wrath is what happens when our anger simmers and then boils over. It's the outward response to the anger within our hearts. It's described here as a quick temper. Like when was the last time that, that, that you just raged over something petty? Like when was the last time? And I think like, you know, uh, maybe I'm just like, just more aware of it now, but I think, man, since the, the, just the craziness that came about with 2020, like people are angrier than ever. Like we're more impatient than ever. You know, we like we don't like to wait, right? And we expect those that wait on us to do it right 100% of the time because we are king and queen and they are our servants. Like, can we just breathe a little bit and give people some grace? Like, the person at HEB can't help that they don't have certain products because of supply chain issues. And so stop just blowing up on them, right? How dare you not have my coffee creamer, Right? They're just looking at you like, I'm just in high school, man. Like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> you know? Like, but we do that. Like, it's just like, it just blows up, you know? The, the wrath just explodes out of us. And we act like, like, but guess what? It was there. It was rooting around and then we weren't dealing with it. Next, he says, man, put away malice. Malice points to the one who in their anger sits back and plots revenge in their hearts. You ever do that? You ever spend like somebody cuts you off and you just spend some time daydreaming, just hoping three miles down you see them stopped by a police officer? Right? Like you just start, like it just runs through your head. You daydream about bad things will happen to people that wrong you or people that don't, you don't agree with. Now, now again, don't move on from this too quickly. Like you've been there. If you say you haven't, don't worry. We're going to get the line here in just a second and we can talk about it then, right? So I love Paul. He's just like, here we go. Let's do this, right? Next we see, he says you're to put down slander. Which is just a word that we don't use that really just means gossip. Man, there's so much gossip. Like, like, I'm guilty of it. It's the new feel-good sin that's acceptable across the board. I mean, we do it in like covert ways, right? Like, hey, let me just like, but we're looking for ways to do it. I got to like, and not only are you looking for it, like we're looking, like we, we like, like we like the gossip, right? Because it makes yourself feel a little better. Like, you're, I'm better than that person. We're so quick to tear down rather than pray for. So quick to write off and tell others why in backhanded ways. And so, man, to that, I just want to give a quick response. Like, practical response. Uh, don't have a mouth or ear for it. What I mean by don't have a mouth for it is just like for you, like shut yours. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? 
Also, if you don't have anything that, or if you're not willing to actually go to that person and maybe confront them or just share with them and talk through it and seek reconciliation, just stop. Or maybe you just need to sit with it and take it to Jesus first and what you might realize is it's more you than it is actually them and you just need to let it go. We don't like letting it go. Because if we let it go, they win, right? No. You both, you, like you, you take it to Jesus, like you receive God's grace in that moment and say, okay, I can love. Maybe they were just having a bad day. But not only don't have a mouth for it, don't have an ear for it. Like quit letting others do it. Tell them, shh. Like, just say, mm, stop. And they say, hey, look, like, you need to go to them. If it's that important, go to them. If it's not, shh. <laughs> and then maybe tell them, like, hey, go take that to Jesus, and maybe you just need, or maybe you just need to tell them, hey, I think you just need to let that go. It's not a big deal. This attitude in response then moves to speech where Paul talks about, he says, put off obscene talk. This is foul or abusive speech. It's locker room talk. It's trying to be funny in ways that degrade self or others. Uh, it's, uh, man, racial slurs. Anything that does not build up Christ, His kingdom, and others. Just put that away. Which then leads to the last of the putting off statements, which he says, hey, don't lie to one another. What I believe Paul's getting at here is don't present yourself a certain way falsely in word and deed if you're living out the same lives and ways of living that the false teachers, the culture around you are proclaiming will give you life, but you know will not according to the Word of God. Don't act like you're something. Don't proclaim that you have no sin. Rather, put off all these things by way of honest repentance and humble transparency. And it's in this honesty. He says, see to it, which is is this focused intent. He says, you put off the old self with its practices. Again, God, like this, like sanctification, like while while salvation is a a point in time, you are justified because of the righteousness that has been imputed to you. And one day, man, there will be no sin. When Christ returns and makes all things new, man, today, man, there are things in our life, maybe things in your life today you need to put off and then say, okay, I'm going to put on the good news of the Gospel. To put on Christ, His righteousness. It's a continual. He says, put off with these practices. He says, you're being renewed. Again, that process of sanctification, you are being renewed more and more into the image of Jesus. You are secure, but you are still growing into the image of Christ. You see, verse 9 is a call to put off that which seeks to destroy us. And what he's really doing is he's pointing back to the way you do that is you seek things that are above. You set your mind on Christ. You remember that you were hidden in Him if you're a follower of Jesus. And then you have hope at His return. And so today, like, you know, uh, we, we could quickly and easily just transition to, okay, what do we put on? Because we like that, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, you tell me what to put off, but I want to know what to put on. Because if I can do it myself, I can put these things on, then I can really work my way out of those things. But today I want to sit in the putting off. We're quick to move, but man, I believe there's a lot of grace here. Again, there's no real living without dying. The revelation of resurrection comes more into view as we put to death these things. We should see repentance. We should see conviction as a grace. Not as something to run from. We don't live in Genesis 3 anymore. We don't have to live in hiding. Disciple of Jesus, you don't have to live in hiding. You have to live in the power of the empty tomb. So I want to, today, what I want to do is I want to call us to repentance. I want to call us to remember Christ. I want to call you to remember what you bring to the table with your sin and your brokenness and that Jesus in His grace redeems and gives life. To remember where you struggle today and yet remember again Jesus. You see, hope is found in the putting off of. Man, let us put off and allow Christ to clothe us in His righteousness rather than being quick to try and put on workspace moralism to try and cover up what we're not willing to be honest about and put off. You see, for maybe for you today, like you're looking, you just go straight to those put-on statements and say, okay, I'm going to do all... But you don't deal with the heart. And I encourage you today to lay whatever it is, whatever you need to put off today, to lay it at His feet. Guess what? He takes it. He forgives. He brings hope. Seek after Him. Seek after the things that are above, not all the things around you. Set your mind on Christ. Remember, you're hidden in Christ. If you're in Christ. Today, if you don't know Jesus, go to Him. Turn to Him today. So I'm going to have the team come back up. And man, I want to invite you to a time of just kind of sitting in the putting off. Man, because then, guess what? In light of what Christ has done, man, like we, we can lay whatever it is at His feet because He's already paid for it. So I want to, I want to ask you just to reflect. Think of I man, in your life, based on what we've just walked through, like what do you need to put off today? And then as you put off, like put on, clothe, you, know, you know, clothe yourself in Christ's righteousness. Remember who you are in Jesus. Receive His grace. And as you come to communion, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I invite you to come uh, to communion and share. But in doing so, man, as you come to the table, come repentant. Remembering what Jesus has paid for. Come reflecting on the life that He gave. Maybe today, man, maybe today as you come, like maybe, maybe you need to deal with some anger and part of that putting off is going to someone maybe in this room and saying, hey, I've been really angry with you lately. I'm sorry. Or I've been expressing this in poor ways. I need to repent of that. I need to ask for your forgiveness. Go to someone. Or but may we sit and realize just the grace that this is for our lives. But God's Word doesn't shy away from this. That He wants to bring freedom and hope to the power of His Spirit to the finished work of His Son to the love of who God is.
And so I invite you today to do that. I want to give you some time. And after a minute or two, uh, they're going to lead us in worship. We're going to proclaim the truth of who God is in song. Then I invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come. We have bread. We have a cup you can dip in or uh, uh, juice that you can grab. They're both juice. Uh, but you can grab those things and, and take them back to your chair and, and pray and maybe pray with someone else. But man, um, may we allow God to work even in the midst of things that need to be put off. Because guess what? There's grace there too. Like uh, uh, James 4, 6, right? There's more grace. More mercy. Draw near to Him today. So God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank you that it is good for our souls. I thank you that it is needed, every part of it. Lord, I ask that as we uh, reflect, God, that you would even reveal now, Holy Spirit, things that need to be repented of, that need to be put off. May we remember that, that, that we uh, are uh, clothed in righteousness, that we are clothed in the, 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 the finished work of Jesus. And may that lead to a life that says, I want to put these things off so that I might be able to live a life that proclaims the good news what you've done in my life, what you're doing, what you will do. And we quit hiding from things because we're ashamed or scared. God, may we see uh, that, that you uh, are so gracious and merciful that you receive us because you received the wrath on our behalf. I pray that you would move now. In Jesus' name, amen.